Welcome to The Bittersweet Life, a show about living abroad and moving home. And more than that, it's a deep exploration of what it means to live, to truly be alive. Your host, Tiffany Parks, is a childhood friend of mine. She lives in Rome, Italy. She moved there from the United States 16 years ago. And me, I'm Katie Sewell. I was a short-term expat for a time, living in Italy, right down the street from Tiffany. And then I moved home to Seattle, Washington. That's where I am now. So you are in the right place. If you love Italy or travel, if you're thinking about moving abroad or lived in a foreign place in the past, this is a show infused with art and literature and history. It's a show about life, and we're glad you're here. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to talk about something that I'm actually quite surprised we've never discussed on this show, which is anxiety. Something that you would equate with a lot of things having to do with life and just life in general, but also travel moving anywhere, huge life changes, all involve just a little bit of anxiety. Yes. Or a lot. (laughs) And uh, I don't know that I have ever asked you whether or not you're a person who gets anxious. Well, we've talked about travel anxiety. That's true. That's true. I mentioned that planning travel is something that makes me very anxious. But it's kind of an anomaly because I am not typically an anxious person And it is one of the few things, with the exception of obviously some kind of life crisis happening that would throw even the calmest person into uh, a state of stress. But that's really the only thing that shouldn't really cause anxiety, but for me it does. So my answer to your question is no, I generally, for the most part, do not suffer from anxiety, with a few exceptions. What about yourself? Up until I moved to Rome back in 2013, when I was just a, an adult in the working world, working at NPR in Seattle, I would have said that I was not an anxious person. I would have said that I don't even really know what anxiety is like. That's not to say that I didn't have nerves or stresses. I totally remember when I was a brand new intern at NPR, being in the bathroom, on the day I was supposed to direct my first live show and just sitting in the toilet being like, okay, you can do this. You can do this. (laughs) Which now I find so laughable because, you know, uh, by the end of it, I could direct a show half asleep. But, (laughs) and I realized today, because I've been feeling really, really anxious for the last couple of days and I haven't been able to put a, a finger on why exactly. And I was remembering back the first time I ever recognized that what I was feeling was anxiety. And it just happened to happen in Rome when I was living there, 2013, 2014. And the situation was, we'd been there for a while, I think at least five months. So it wasn't like I was brand new. And part of Derek's study abroad opportunity there included a trip to Israel, an all expense paid trip to Israel for a number of weeks. Number of weeks? I think so. I can't remember exactly how long it was, but it was a long trip. And prior to him leaving on that trip, 
just timing wise, I had also planned a trip to meet my father and my sister in Southeast Asia. So I left him in Rome, went to Southeast Asia. And when I came back, he had just left for Israel. Ah. I think earlier that day, like we didn't even overlap. We had just kind of ships passing in the night, you know, and a couple days into being back in Rome, but by myself completely, I started to just feel really, really ill. And I started Googling, you know, my hands are tingling. I'm feeling lightheaded. You know, I feel like my, I have a hummingbird heart, you know, and I'm Googling, what could this possibly be? Some kind of flu. Yeah, maybe this is something like, oh my gosh, maybe my heart is having problems. I can't feel my hands, you know, my face is going numb. <laughs> um, stuff like that. And uh, in Googling it, I realized that everything I was feeling was a common trait of anxiety. Huh. And I think it was that, I don't know, I had never been alone in a foreign country before for any length of time mm -hmm. beyond just one night by myself. And also living in this foreign country, knowing that I don't speak the language and that if anything goes wrong, like the plumbing goes out, the electricity goes off, I can't handle any of it. Derek is my ticket to being able to communicate. I mean, you also, but you Thank have you. a job yeah. <laughs> and you're off. <laughs> you're off all day long. So it wasn't like I had no resources, but I just felt like I am really in over my head here if anything big happens. And I don't think I would have, you know, put the two and two together at the time. Huh. But that was the first time I remember feeling that way. And I have to imagine that, and I do know that moving for me causes certain level of anxiety in general but I have to imagine that anybody making these big transitions must have some kind of feeling like this and I don't know I made it it made me wonder if you when you moved to Rome maybe it's too far back to remember but did you feel any of this like over your head anxious energy of what should I be doing right now how am I supposed to function here my overwhelming feeling when I first moved to Rome was intense loneliness. That was it. That was what I think my loneliness was so profound. My first several months, particularly in Rome, that I had no space to feel anything else. I had just left my boyfriend of six years. We had broken up mutually, but we had re remained friends and he took me to the airport and dropped me off. It was really only a few months after our breakup. And I sobbed and it really wasn't about him. Like, yes, I loved him while we were together. He was a huge part of my life. Uh, he will always be a huge part of my life. But it wasn't that, oh, I want to be with you. We knew the relationship was over. It was good that it was over. But that was what I clung to as something familiar that I was going to miss. It was almost like a crutch that I needed, you know, that I needed. I needed something to miss mm -hmm. almost. And... I suffered so much loneliness that first six months, even the first nine months, really, that I don't remember having those feelings that you described, that, you know, those physical manifestations of anxiety. I knew I had to find an apartment. I knew I had to find some way to make money because my savings were dwindling extremely fast. But for some reason, it didn't stress me out. Yes, I got to take care of this. Yes, I got to deal with this. 
but it was almost like more than that. I need a friend. Anyone. <laughs> like I need to meet people. <laughs> I need a boyfriend. I need, I need to go on a date. I need something. I need human interaction. Well, that's, <laughs> um, that's curious, actually. Can I ask you a question about that? Do you feel like you needed a friend more or do you feel like you needed a boyfriend more? I needed a friend more. I, a, a boyfriend would do. I will take that. <laughs> you know, if, <laughs> but I wanted, I wanted friends. You know, that's what I really want. I wanted a social circle and to start to feel like I was belonging somewhere. I don't remember those specific feelings. Although I'm not saying they weren't there. They might have just been overshadowed by the loneliness. I mean, because loneliness could also be a form of depression. Or at least it could cause depression. Maybe it's not a form of, but it could cause depression. Yeah, that's for sure. Good. Yeah, a little different direction here. Just because we talked about you leaving the boyfriend, the very comfortable boyfriend, and then moving to Italy. Yeah. Let's talk about that idea of choosing discomfort. Because... Like you, although not like you exactly, but I had a boyfriend. We've talked about boyfriends over on Patreon before. Not so much over here, but we did do a whole episode on Patreon about whether or not we keep in touch with our exes. (laughs) Not for public consumption, I guess, perhaps. Uh, But prior to all of this, prior to this show happening, prior to me meeting Derek, I had a longtime boyfriend that I dated for eight years. And we got along famously had a perfectly happy and comfortable life with each other and I kind of chose to not stay there I could have been so much more comfortable yeah maybe even in my skin this week today if I had not switched that up now I'm not saying that I think I made the wrong decision but there is this interesting thing about choosing discomfort rather than what feels pretty good most of the time in day to day. Well, I mean, the same could be said about you leaving your job, your NPR, your stable, comfortable job that you did well and you were established in. It's the same sort of thing. Yeah, I basically threw it all in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, within a few years of each other. Yeah. Well, I, I don't think everybody does that, Katie. I think certain types of people do that. But I'm not that kind of person. Well, apparently you are. I know. How did that happen? <laughs> and now I have anxiety. It just happened. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> just oh, joking. you know, I think I think that I mean, I think that a lot of growth comes out of discomfort. Mm. It is so easy to get comfortable and not push yourself and not challenge yourself, and also not like just what we've talked about so much on the show is just seeking new things okay, I'm not just going to go do this thing that I always do. I'm going to go do something different and see how, how that is. And maybe I'll discover this whole new passion that I didn't know that I had. Or maybe I'll just discover that I hate doing this thing. Mm-hmm. Whether it's your job, your significant other, or your hobby, I think it's a good reminder because, at least for me, I feel like I've been sort of living a bit of a comfortable life these past couple of years. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's time to push myself out there a little bit. Would you consider yourself a person who chases novelty? I definitely used to be. I don't know that I am as much. I think motherhood has calmed me. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I used to travel constantly, Katie. I used to make a point of not going back to the same place twice, particularly, you know, after I'd moved to Italy, because I did go back to Italy again and again and again until I eventually moved here. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, I got to go to a new place, new place, new place, new place, new thing, go see something new, do something new, meet new people. So yes, I was always chasing novelty. Yeah, I think I do too. And I think that that is also a bit of a problem in this particular time period that we're in. 
And maybe that's part of the cause of the anxiety. We've been basically in our homes for over a year, for the most part. And I don't actually feel like that has changed very much, at least for me. I don't think it has for you. I think we're mostly still home. And yet there's this desire, at least in me, this desire to see more, be out in the world more, meet new people, hook up with old friends again, like actually see them in person and not online. But then it's in conflict with this kind of cozy laziness that has come from being at home Hmm. for the last year. I'll meet a friend at four o'clock. If they want to get together at eight, you're like, eight? (laughs) Eight at night. (laughs) Yeah, forget I'm in my pajamas at eight. Go out at eight? (laughs) (laughs) Hell, I'm in my pajamas by four. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, and so it's like the things that I crave are like in in stark opposition to each other. Oh, I totally feel you, 100%. And lazy is a word that I use a lot to describe how I feel. And And I don't identify as a lazy person. No. But it takes a certain amount of effort for me to get to the center of Rome. It's not tons of effort, but it's not like it used to be where I would just walk out my apartment door and I, I'm in the middle of Trastevere, you know, I have to make sure I have childcare, make sure it's a day that either Aurelius at school or long enough because he has short days, you know, or I have someone to take care of him. I have to, you know, make sure the weather is okay because I'm a total weather wimp now. <laughs> if it's raining, forget it. I'm not leaving my <laughs> yeah. house. Right. Um, and, you know, I have to, I have to drive a certain amount and I have to find parking. It's so often that I'm thinking to myself, I should really go into the center this week and see a couple friends and take some photos and, you know, just walk the streets, which is how I get a lot of my inspiration. And I just, and I'm just like, oh, but it's so cozy here. And I'm just going to make myself a cup of tea and I'm going to write and I'm going to maybe catch up on emails and, and I just don't do it. It's so common. And I mean, I live in Rome, but I see the center of Rome compared to before so infrequently. It's just the pull. It's this, it's this pull of inertia, I think, is what it is. When you're not moving, it's just so easy to stay sedentary or stay not moving. Whereas, you know, when you're used to being out all the time and getting up every morning and putting on real clothes <laughs> and, uh, and putting maybe on a little bit of makeup or at least a little bit of effort to make yourself look presentable... <laughs> I can drive a really good school. In fact, I have to. I, his school has like grounds. It's not like on the street. So you drive into the gate. And since COVID started, they do not want the parents getting out of the car. Someone will come and take your child out of the car. So I don't even have to get out of the car when I take my kid to school in the morning. Yes. I mean, talk about lazy, Katie. Like I, <laughs> I do put on real pants when I take him to school, but I don't have to because no one's going to see. Yeah, I was joking. <laughs> I, I had to go run a few errands yesterday, but I was getting ready to go. And Derek looks at me and he's like, what are you wearing? <laughs> and I look down and granted, like a lot, a lot of the clothes I wear around the house are, it depends on what projects you're working on. And if you're working on stuff where you're just going to get dirty, I wear like really... You know, the things that I should have thrown away years ago. And (laughs) what do you do that gets you dirty, Katie? I mean, I'm just trying to picture it. Are you sanding? Are you painting? Are you... No, yard work. Okay. Cleaning, that kind of thing. Anyway, but of course, yeah, it is one of those things where you're like, oh, yeah, I used to look nice when I went out. (laughs) But I mean, that's not to say that a lot of the things that I want to be working on, I can do at home. And I you know, the writing and all these things that take a lot of concentration and that you need to be alone for. And again, Mm -hmm. it's the two things that polar opposites, the desire for action, 
versus the need to work on these intellectual projects. I, I don't know, also just feeling like I have a real limited vision of what could be next right now. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yes. There's nothing planned on the horizon beyond the fact that Christmas is coming up. You know, <laughs> That's it. And even from a professional sense, we were joking about me quitting my job and throwing it all in the fire, even though I still work there from time to time. But, you know, I really don't know what's going to catch hold professionally. I, I finished this memoir, still looking for an agent for it. Got a couple of children's picture books, looking for an agent for that. These processes could take forever. And the vast majority of things that are happening now is, you know, I feel like everything is a close but a no, no matter what project I'm working on, you know, whether it's some book project, whether it's me proposing something about this show to someone else, yeah, you know, it's just, it just feels like everything is uncertain. I haven't latched into anything. And I think that that's also making it anxious. So not only do we know what the world's going to look like after this pandemic is over, but I also don't know what my life is going to look like. Yeah, that make that makes total sense. I see. I try not even to go there. I could think the exact same things because I have, you know, I have a lot of the same type of situation going on. Being an author, you know, as you know, mm-hmm. there's no guarantee. Also, any kind of creative profession, podcasting, what have you. So I could totally, I could totally go there. I don't go there. That's one of my gifts, with the exception of if there's some looming scary thing that's about to happen. Like I just had to have a meeting with my bosses at the magazine that I've been working for. And I was very anxious about that because I had no idea what was going to happen, particularly if I was going to be ordered back into an office where I was going to be locked up for more than half the day. So I was very, it all worked out by the way, but I was very, very anxious about that. So if it's like a specific moment, yes, I'm going to feel anxiety. I'm going to dwell on it and I'm going to, you know, do all the worst case scenarios and all of that crap. Although I do try to give myself some positive self-talk and be like, what's the worst that can really happen here? Yeah. And you're really good at reaching out too. You'll write to me if you're (laughs) feeling anxious about something. Oh yeah. (laughs) I will be more like, I am insufferable right now. I am not going to mention this to anyone. Oh, no, no, <laughs> no. I'm the opposite. Like, Katie, get over yourself. Shut up. Take a couple days and then be back to your normal self. No. See, I think that hearing someone's perspective can totally make you feel better. And also, they can give you some really good advice. Like, I was talking to, uh, I didn't talk to only you about it. I talked to one of my friends who lives next door. Our sons play together. And she you know, has worked for a couple of very small companies. This is a very small company and she kind of knows how things work and she knows the laws and she left a job and knows what happens when you leave a job and what they have to offer you and, uh, you know, various things like that. And we literally talked about it. She's like, well, you know, you can do this and you can do that. And you can, and she's like, gave me some like serious options, which luckily I didn't have to use any of them because in the end everything worked out, as I said, but sometimes talking to people, A, you can get practical advice and B, just, I think talking it out get some of that anxiety off of your, you know, as they say, off of your chest mm-hmm. and you can kind of release it. Same way journaling would do, but you have to be the kind of person who doesn't mind people knowing your business. Yeah. So that's may, might be the difference, but, um, <laughs> I mean, I host a podcast. I don't care. My life is an open book. Yeah. But you are, you are, I think, I think a little bit more private than I am. Yeah, Maybe. That's probably true. But what I was going to say was, with the exception of moments like that, I'm very good at 
and I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing, but I take it as a gift. I'm very good at just shutting down negative thoughts. When I first moved to Rome, I had no job or I had a job that was paying me like, what, 50, 50 bucks a week or something. I mean, I was making no money and I had no idea what I was going to do and I wasn't a legal citizen or legal resident, yada, 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 all this stuff. I had no friends, living in horrible apartments. <laughs> <laughs> I, although I couldn't just turn off the loneliness tab, I just didn't think about that other stuff. I just turn it off. I just like, Err. and I see the difference between myself and my husband. He can't turn it off. And we make up for each other as far in the anxiety department. I see it most, most often with our son. If some little thing is going on with him that maybe isn't, you know, ideal, like he's going to the bathroom strange, or maybe he's having a little problem with a friend at school, or, you know, these kind of minor problems that could be some sign of something much worse, but you don't know. I'm always like, honey, let's just, let's just see what happens. Let's just take it slow. You know, let's just... He'll dwell on it. He'll go over and over. Well, what if, well, what if, well, what about this? Maybe we should do that. Oh my gosh, what if, what if, what if, what if? But he's, oh, this, 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 this. And I'm just like, calm down. Nothing has happened yet. We don't know. If you want to call the doctor in the morning, we'll call the doctor in the morning. But until that time, we can't do anything. And I always say to them, I was like, from now until what, whatever, we call the doctor. What can we do? Can we magically cure him if, you know, he's feeling a little sick? No, we're just going to not think about it. And I just, I just don't think about it. I don't start thinking, oh my gosh, my child's deathly ill. And oh my gosh, she's probably got a tumor. And oh my goodness. And oh my, blah, blah, blah. like, I'm just, no, I just turn it off. Tomorrow we'll go to take him to the doctor and then we'll figure out what we have to do. And is Claudio a more of a worst case scenario person? Like, is he leaping to death? <laughs> the death of the child or something like that? I mean, no, I mean, no, he's not that bad, but, um, I mean, okay, here's an example. <laughs> we went to New York together. All I know is my son was less than two years old. One day I had to go and have all these meetings and he was with Aurelio and they were having lunch somewhere. And Aurelio, I mean, he's really little. He's a very rambunctious kid. He fell off of the chair he was sitting on and hit his head a little bit. And his nose started bleeding and his nose started bleeding a lot. I was literally having lunch with my brand new editor <laughs> and I get a phone call from him. Luckily, we had already paid. It was the very end of the meal, but he called me freaking out. His nose is bleeding. He's not going to stop bleeding. I think he's got a brain injury. Like he leapt to brain injury. Whereas I'm thinking he fell on the ground. If his nose is bleeding, maybe he hit his nose. And he's like, but he didn't fall on his face. Still, noses can be very delicate, even like, you know, it was hours and hours of drama. And it was me rushing back and, you know, taking him to urgent care and the doctor being like, you don't need an MRI. I understand. I'm a father too. I understand why you might feel like you need one. But I'm telling you, a brain injury does not cause a nosebleed. If his brain were bleeding, it wouldn't be coming out of his nose. That's not how it works, you know? But my husband just kept at it. And, he, and finally, I was like, Claudio, we don't need the MRI, okay? He's fine. Mm -hmm. He is fine. <laughs> and he suffered from nosebleeds for years and years after. And you know what? So did I. You know why? I'm allergic. He's allergic. Our noses itch. We rub them when we're sleeping and they bleed. And we have delicate 
capillaries in our noses. And so I'm just like, I just, for some reason, I just don't go there. Like I don't, and I'm not to say that like, if a doctor told me your child has X, Y, Z, I wouldn't believe them. Of course I, I would believe them. I would take the necessary steps that need to be taken. When my son is sick, I take him to the doctor and I give him whatever medicine he needs, but I don't go out of my mind. Oh my God. He said, you know, he's got it. I just, does those thoughts don't even come to me. It's not even like I have to block them. They just don't come. It's interesting to me that you, being such a calm person when it comes to anxiety, married such an anxious person. Maybe I didn't realize. No, I think I must have realized. But yeah, you know, love, it's love. You, you, you fall in love with someone despite their flaws. And it's not the worst flaw. You learn to live with it. You learn to live with it. It's not the worst flaw you can have. I'd like to think I am a calming influence on him. I think if he had married someone who was also anxious that could be really bad. And you could, you could actually do real damage to a child if they're in such an anxious home. And I make an effort, even though I am pretty naturally calm, I make an effort, because my son does pick up on you know, a little bit of anxiety from Claudio, to a certain extent. I don't think he's an anxious child, but he'll pick up on it a little bit. Oh my God, we're gonna be late, we're gonna be late for school. Oh my God, I'm like, calm down. It doesn't matter, like what's gonna happen? And I always say to him, I said, did somebody die? You know, when like he spills the milk, I'm like, did somebody die? Because if somebody didn't die, we're fine. Everything's gonna be fine. Don't worry about it. You spilled the milk, who cares? That's so funny that you said that. <laughs> I was just thinking of one of the most anxious people I ever worked with and worked with briefly was when I did that small stint for a writing piece I was doing. This is way back in college when I worked at a funeral home for a while. And I was in the back room with the head embalmer, hanging around eight dead bodies, working on one particular guy. Jeez. And this man, who was quite funny, actually, the whole, there's this, uh, as you would think, there's this sort of um, dark humor that happens amongst the staff at the funeral home that's trying to just add a little levity to how difficult a job they have. Right. And how depressing it can be. But this man had... Uh, daughter, I believe. I don't know how we got to talking about his daughter and what he would and would not allow her to do. But he somehow got into this list of things that she was not allowed to do. And all of it was from anxiety. It was down to the littlest things, Tiffany, like he would not let her paint her fingernails because the acetone that takes in the nail polish remover to get it off again is so toxic that it over time can kill you if you do it enough, right? Wow. And I mean, so it was all the way down to like no nail polish. Wow. And it was because he had seen somebody die of every little possible thing. Oh my gosh. I cannot even yeah. imagine if he had a daughter that fell off a chair, you know, what his response would be <laughs> compared to Claudio's response. But oh my God. Poor child. Poor child is all I can I know, say. I know. But I mean, that seems like anxiety within good reason. I would still not want to be his child. Yeah. But anxiety with evidence. I right. Guess. I mean, he has... Evidence of why being anxious. Yes. And he has definitely seen a lot. Yes. Many, many things. And Claudio sometimes will say to me, don't you read the news? Like, don't you see all you... You know, he always accuses me of like only reading political news and never reading like this freak accident that just happened. The murder. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not even that, like <laughs> dog attacks. Like he's all on the dog attacks. He's like, 
pick him up. If you see a dog that doesn't have a leash, pick him up because you don't know what those, you know, what happens sometimes those dogs, they just attack children and you know, you don't read the news, so you don't know. (laughs) I'm always like, yes, I'm careful. I'm very careful with crossing the street because I'm like, what is the most common way that a child could die? Really crossing the street has got to be up there with car accidents and, you know, it's not going to be the plane crash and it's probably not going to be the kidnapper. Even a freak dog attack is pretty, pretty unlikely. I'm thinking like crossing the street. So I am extremely careful when it comes to crossing the street. No child of mine is ever going to be in the front seat, standing up, no seatbelt on, head out the window like they do here in Italy. They do. <laughs> they, they do. I was, I was trying to merge one day onto a very busy street, which is almost as busy as a highway. And I didn't slow down quite enough. I mean, I was fine. I wasn't going to hit the lady. I was slowing down. I just kind of had to slam on the brakes a little bit before I merged. And she looked at me and she gave me this look like I was the most reckless, horrible driver. Like I wasn't going to stop. I would have hit her. And I looked at her and then her two kids had their heads out the window in the back seat. I was like, lady, you're judging me when your kids' heads are out the window. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, maybe that's why she needed your consideration. She's like, my kids' heads are out the window. Drive a little safer, won't you please? <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm very careful when it comes to that. Car-related stuff, yeah. I am super aware and super careful. But other stuff, let a kid be a kid. Yeah, I hear you. Well, I don't know if we've solved anything about anxiety today. I mean, this conversation was kind of all over the place, although yeah. more or less on the theme of anxiety, but we also touched on some other interesting thoughts. Well, you know, sometimes when you're anxious, like I have been the last two days, it's like you can't really focus on any one thing, Tiffany. So <laughs> I got to jump around. I got to be moving. So what's causing this anxiety for the last two days? Is it your your career worries or it's the mix it's everything it's all of it and it's funny because when you're anxious too uh it's also not just anxiety it's like restlessness it's like i want something to be interesting you know i want something i don't know i guess i miss some kind of novelty i don't know and it's part of this transition of coming out of the pandemic but of course once you kind of start to feel this way then you you know, you don't sleep as well and it just piles on itself. Yes. So I can't point to any one real thing. And I'm, I'm sure like two days from now, I'm not going to feel this way. Sometimes when I get like this, I, I also just have to remind myself, this is temporary. And two days from now, the whole world's going to feel different. Yes, I agree. And I think it's time for a new hobby. So everyone write in <laughs> and tell us what hobby you think Katie should take up. Okay. Considering the fact that she's a busy woman, so, you know, can't be something that takes too much time and maybe something that she can do in her area, her general area. Right. And nothing that costs too much money. True. Again. Because again, like I said, with all this career stuff, right? trying to get stuff going, not necessarily making a ton of money. So it also has to be a affordable hobby. And on that note... You can join us on Patreon. Uh, (laughs) Help me, please. (laughs) If you want to support Katie's new hobby. Oh, whatever it may be. Suggestions welcome. All right. No, I mean, kind of joking, kind of not. Mm -hmm. This show does take a very large amount of money to produce every week, twice a week, actually. So donations are always highly appreciated. You can find us on Patreon at 
patreon.com slash the bittersweet life podcast yes i just paid another bill for us today oh no to the tune of 75 dollars i know there's just uh, so many more costs associated with producing a podcast than you would think it's especially um one that's worldwide and i don't know i it's it's funny when you ask for money too because i just got done with an npr pledge drive also npr pledge drives it seems to be okay people make the connection between NPR has a reporter and that reporter is stationed in Rome and that Roman reporter needs to be paid a salary and your donation helps pay for our ability to pay for that person, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but when it comes to podcasting, it's always like, I don't know, there's that thought of like, I'll pay for your web hosting fees or what have you, but there's never any thought to like the, the people that work 20 hours a week on it. Yeah. Is that too much to say that it is kind of a real job? It is. It's a, it's a real job and uh, it's we put a lot of love into it but we also put a lot of time into it that we could be using to do other stuff so uh it's a labor of love it's one of the questions i've gotten a couple times from people is when if ever would you ever kill the show because we have a few people who are asking us to kill it no they're very big fans (laughs) and they don't want to live without it Ah. and usually those people are people that are throwing money toward it but i mean it really does come down to like when do we kill it it's like when you can't afford to do it anymore I, I mean, that's really what it is, right? Whether our time gets taken up by something else or, you know, it's just costing us too much. But again, it's a passion project, so that comes into it too. Yes, it does. This is my anxiety. <laughs> well, we, we, we just hit 400 episodes <laughs> a few episodes ago, Katie. Shall we try to make it to 500? Yes, which means we need a couple more years. You know, it's funny. You know, it's funny. I was listening back to an old show and I think it was like our 100th, 100th episode. Uh-huh. And you said something, you threw off some comment when we get to episode 1000. And I was <laughs> laughing. I was like, yeah, Katie, that is never going to happen. 1000 episodes. But now that we're at 400, it seems much more within reach. Well, no, if you count the mini episodes, which are like, we're up to 128 or something, yeah. 29, something like that. Yes, we're well over 500, really. We're over 500 anyway, so. We're more than halfway there. <laughs> well, we should leave it there. I'd be curious for the rest of you about anxiety and, and where it comes, where it manifests, whether it's like you moving or quitting a job or retiring or whatever it is. I'd be interested to hear. If you want to write us, you can always reach us through the contact us page at thebittersweetlife.net. We're on social media. Yes, on social media, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Just search for the Bittersweet Life podcast. And also our email address is bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Support the show by wearing a Bittersweet Life t-shirt or socks or even a Bittersweet Life face mask. We have merch, and you might find your new favorite mug by visiting thebittersweetlife.net. Click on support to explore the merch catalog. And have fun!